You're listening to ROD, coming at you live. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Auto D Show here on Dave Pratt's Star Worldwide Networks, broadcasting from high above Camelback Road in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm your host, Otto Daniolo, and this evening, my guest is a gentleman whose talent has opened a lot of incredible doors through his career, landing him gigs with some of the biggest names in American soul and R&B. Gerald Levert, The uh, Temptations, and The Commodores uh, have all been benefited excuse me, <clears throat> from the talents of Mr. Don Williams Sr. And tonight... The man himself is in studio with me for a chat. So this is going to be awesome. In fact, it's going to be a lot more fun than I had anticipated because uh, we're finding things out that we'll be sharing with you. Uh, but to, before we bring him on the show, I'd like to maybe play a song of his for you to kind of introduce you to Don and his music. Here's a cut called Let's Ride with uh, Don on piano and on guitar and playing all basically everything. I'll, feel, I'll give you the rest of the details when we come back and bring him on. But check it out. This is Let's, excuse me, uh, Let's Ride on the Auto D Show. You're listening to Auto D. Well, that sure wasn't Let's Ride. Let's go back. And the beautiful thing about this live podcast is I can edit that out before it gets posted tomorrow. So don't even worry about that. Okay. <laughs> there we go.
You're listening to ROD, coming at you live. And that was Let's Ride by Don Williams Sr. here on the Auto D Show, which is brought to you tonight in part by my great friends over at Fervor Records and also by TheRecordingArtist.com, where every Wednesday evening I record bands live online while you watch. You can even participate via live chat if you want to. To learn more, visit TheRecordingArtist.com. And be sure to uh, watch our companion show on Amazon Prime called The Recording Artist. It's pretty cool. And uh, so is my guest this evening. So let's bring him on the show uh, without any further ado, Mr. Don Williams Sr. Hey, Don. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. First of all, I want to thank you for making the drive-in tonight. And I see you brought your lovely wife with you, Kim. So thanks for coming in, Kim. Absolutely. And uh, what part of the valley are you in from? We're in the West Valley, uh, off of Thomas, over on 67th. Okay. Yeah. A little bit of a drive. Yeah. And uh, you've been you, and you've been in the valleys now for about five years. I think you five told me earlier. Yeah. yeah. And uh, originally born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, there's a, there's a music town. Absolutely. Oh yeah, everybody's there. How how did you uh, get started in music? This is a long story. So here we go. Uh, at nine years old, my mom bought a, a organ. It was called the Magnus organ. The uh, t- the keys to the left were the chords, and you had it like a maybe a. An octave <laughs> and, and a half yeah right maybe <laughs> and uh, that's where it started was it uh, did you turn it on it was like air? air right it blew from the bottom right right and when she bought that it probably was 20 bucks at the time but I saw one five years ago in a pawn shop oh my gosh $76 I told my did wife did you get it no I said <laughs> I'm coming back to get this keyboard but I never <laughs> did I never did well but that's a funny story because that's how I started when I was eight years old. Yeah. My mom bought that little brown and white organ, toy plastic organ, whatever, like that. You turn it on, the air went through, and the chords were on the left. Right, right. We might have had the same. This more parallels in our story. <laughs> I know. Uh, right? We continue to discover. But uh, no, go ahead. So then, what, where'd you go from so, there? Yeah. So uh, you know, after uh, finding out that I like to play music, you know, I played at it. I didn't know what I was doing, but you know, going to school, uh, I picked up violin. I played violin for six, seven years, and. Uh, just started picking up different instruments without knowing how to read. So, so you weren't you didn't have lessons on this stuff. You just grabbed it and went. I had lessons on the violin, okay. but it, but that was like fourth, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Then girls came, right? right? And then I forgot all about reading and playing the violin. I didn't want to play no sissy violin. I yeah. wanted to play <laughs> saxophone or piano, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, as time went on, man, I just started picking up the flute, the saxophone, drums, bass, and guitar, and uh, I played them all pretty good. But I ended up playing that piano, and, mm-hmm. I, and I stayed with that. It's primary instrument, in a sense. Yeah. Did you ever get into theory and learn music? Uh, I tried to. I, I taught myself. I would always. I was always at the library picking up books, mm-hmm. reading, just constantly reading, reading all the time. What made a minor? What made a, a flat five? What's a raised nine? What's a thirteenth? So I, I wanted to know that. You know. Right. So I started hanging around guys, man, that knew more than me. You know, and just started soaking it up like a sponge. Mm-hmm. And I still can't read to this day. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that's from what we just heard. That track we just heard. That's surprising to yeah, me. Yeah, you know? really. Um, especially when you play and arrange all the instruments. Right. Um, it's uh, a lot of guys. A lot of guys would think, dude, it's going to be easier for you. <laughs> just learn. It actually helps. You know. Right. But I'm the same way. I never. I I learned to read music when I played trumpet in the grade school mm-hmm. band. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, 
as soon as you drop the trumpet for a guitar because of the girls, you know. Right, right. Same thing, fifth, sixth grade, you know. <laughs> That's it. Kid brought a guitar to the show and tell, played Jingle Bells, and all the girls lit up. And I was like, <laughs> wow, I'm going to get me a guitar with this trumpet now. Exactly. But then uh, I never did read music again until I had to. And even then, just, oh, the note's going up. You know, I don't have to right. try and figure it out. I can tell about where it's going, you know. Right, right. So that makes it tough. Well, now you you uh, taught yourself. Do you still play flute? No, I know how to play it. Okay. Yeah, because it's the same uh, action as a saxophone. Mm-hmm. And you still play sax? Yeah. Cool. Uh, who are some of your favorite sax players? David Sanborn, Kurt Whalum, uh guy by the name of Russell Thompson in Cleveland, Ohio, who mm-hmm. played behind Gerald Levert. There you go. Yeah. Hey, do you know a guy by the name of Eddie Minenfield? Eddie plays with, um, well, he did play with his first major tour was with Prince on Purple Rain. Ooh. But then he's, uh, he's with Sheila E., her, her regular band for the last 20 or 30 years. Oh, no. But uh, he had a couple had a couple records he got to, I got to engineer for him and, nice. uh, when he had his own deal. A great player. Just a real fun, fun sax player. I'm, as soon as I was hearing your music, I'm thinking, Eddie should be playing on this. So. Right, right. Let's call, to, let's call Eddie. Hook <laughs> you, you up there. Uh, well, so on the track that we were listening to, Let's Ride, mm-hmm. uh, tell me, is that you playing everything? I'm playing everything. So that's you did that whole track? The drums, the bass, the the, uh, the roads, the pianos, the mm-hmm. leads, the sample of the guitar. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote that whole song around that sample. Oh, yeah? That one little sample. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. That's a cool sample. It is. It and, is. and where you placed it in the track uh, is what grabbed me the first time I heard the song. It's laid so ba- so far back on that beat, it just mm-hmm. completely changes it, the space that you get to play in as, as the soloist. Right. Because it's, it's making a lot of room on the beat. You right. Know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's very, very cool. Um, did you? So what did you get uh, the most serious about besides piano? I guess saxophone's the answer there, huh? Uh, yeah, saxophone and flute, because like I said, the arrangements were the, the same on the keys. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 did, you know, I played at them. I didn't, I've never performed with them. Um, uh, but I knew playing that piano, was, that was, that's what I wanted to do. So you didn't play in the school band on, on those instruments. You just learned them. Right, just learned them. I, I played in the school orchestra with the violin, though. Okay. Uh, for six years, six, okay. seven years, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I knew how to read then. Do you still have a violin? No. No, but I bought my daughter one, though. As soon as I bought her one, I picked it up. I'm like, I was terrible. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> we put this thing down quick, so. Yeah, you got to. This one of those instruments where unless you're really good, you're really bad. Right. You know, you, you can't be okay on it. Right. You right. really got to be great. Uh, were you into sports at all in school growing up, or is it strictly uh, music? No, sports. I, I loved uh, football. I played I play Muni League. I uh, played high school. I played semi-pro, and I actually wanted to go out for the Browns. My brother trained me uh, for wide receiver. You're kidding. No, no, no. But uh, after playing semi-pro with him, uh, nah, I, I didn't like getting hit like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I quickly changed. I said, Let me, let's, go, let's go back to the music. You know, yeah, so. you were sitting there on, in the middle of a play realizing, I could break my fingers. I could get broke. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, for me, it was the same. I was a basketball player, but football was the, the concept of the pain for fun just never really grabbed me right. enough to play with the guys who really loved it. Right. You know? Yeah. But, I, I, in junior high school, I, I ran track. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another story, though, because if they hadn't brought sports to that school, I don't know where I would have been. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but I started running track and I was winning everything. That's when I found out. I'm like, okay, I'm pretty fast. I love the half mile. Mm-hmm. I was at the age of 15, 13 seconds away from the world's record. Wow. So um, uh, I stayed with the football and 
wide receivers, man, and yeah, I just loved it. But not, when I got with the semi-pro guys, yeah, with the weight class changed and everything, so that kind of deterred the, the football career. Yeah, I can imagine. So when did you put your first band together? 1973, Wilson Junior High School. Uh, we had a, a few guys that we all sung in the hallways because that's where the reverb was. You right. Know? So <laughs> cool. we, all, we all did the doo-wop thing down there, and uh, we, uh, we said, let's put a band together. And um, guitar player was there, bass player was there, and we just we, we mashed it out, you know. So, and we started actually performing in, on the weekends months later mm-hmm. at the age of 15 playing in bars and clubs. That's cool. Yeah. So we did that. Actually, we stayed with that band for like four or five years. Yeah, we did pretty good. Do you have any trouble playing at the clubs with the, at your age? Do they make you go outside during your breaks or anything, or were they cool? No, they, they made us go outside, or take us. They took us to the back room because uh-huh. you know, everybody was smoking back then and drinking and yeah. doing a lot of crazy stuff. But yeah, they they made us go outside or to the back room to yeah. the green room. <laughs> <laughs> They'd call it that, right? That's pretty amazing. So uh, I imagine you've you've almost always been the band leader when you were putting bands together. In, in the beginning, no, because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even when I was playing, I still didn't know. I was my fingering was wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. every, all the chords were wrong. I knew something wasn't right. But right. again, that's when I started following other uh, musicians and piano players and organists, and just I started asking questions. So then I started picking up books, and I'm like, okay. Did you um, did you go up to guys at shows who, who you liked who were playing and sit down and try and get them and say hey can I see what you're doing or something yeah, like, yeah 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 and they would show me they would That's sit so there cool. and show me then on the weekends hey you're not doing anything come on over you know I would go share with these guys man and and I learned so much from a lot of these guys including yeah, yeah. well it, um, you know you you've got a lot uh, that's gone on in your life you went into the military and served in the navy army and navy army and navy okay fantastic and thank you for your service there. Yeah. Uh, and all of that happened uh, just before we think we met. Right. So we just mentioned before the show that you and I sat in on, we think, we're pretty sure we sat and worked together on a recording session mm-hmm. in Ohio in like 86, mm-hmm. back in the 1900s, for those of you that don't know what 86 <laughs> means. But, uh, and so there was a singer uh, back there I was working with out of Cleveland called Debenise Bird, and Debenise we just both tried to call you to verify that we were all together right. in this session back on that day. But uh, that's pretty crazy. Um, and so you went from there. And so let, let's say you and I had a nice time. We met each other. We worked on that record together. And now we haven't seen each other till today. Right. And surprised that we had that connection and in, in remembering. Right. And so since then, a lot's gone on in your life. Right. You've gone off to play with some pretty heavy hitters and tour the world playing yeah. with like the Commodores, mm-hmm. you know, and like... And how you got those gigs when I read your, your bio and how you landed some of those gigs, that's pretty in- incredible, too. Yeah. Um, so I want to kind of get into some of that. And okay. then we'll go back and maybe talk about uh, you know, coming out of school and growing up playing uh, again. But let's, let's get to that first big gig. Well, <clears throat> what happened was uh, it was uh, well, Gerald Levert's from Cleveland, Ohio. So we already had a, a local star around our age. And, but then we heard that there was another local group there that had a possible record deal. And so uh, they just started making phone calls all around Cleveland and having everybody come in to audition. Mm-hmm. While I'm there, we're playing uh, Don't Look Any Further. We kept playing Don't Look Any Further and a couple of other Temptation songs. So I, you know, I'm like, okay, this group is going to be doing these songs. So Sonny James is there from Philadelphia. He's the musical director. 
So he's there listening to everybody. Hey, can you give me this? You play that. You play that. So I'm playing. Uh, don't look any further. After an hour, he says, all right, man, you did great. Got your number. We'll call you if, if we need you. I go home. 30 minutes later, my phone rings. Now, this, this is across town. He said, hey, can you come back? <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious right now? Dude, I just came all the way up. Right, right. So when I, get, when I get back, all the other keyboard players are gone. Gone. He, they fired him. He asked me to come on stage, and we're still playing Don't Look Any Further. About 20 minutes into Don't Look Any Further, the doors open up. Here, here comes this big guy walking in the door with an entourage of like 15 people. Dennis, Edward, Dennis Edwards of The Temptations leading the way. <laughs> and I'm like, this is why we're playing Don't Look Any Further. <laughs> all that was a lie. We, we, we thought we were doing something for another local group, but it's all for Dennis Edwards. Find out Dennis walked up on stage, shook everyone's hand and said, you ready for this? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> and that was in 1984, Don't Look Any Further was out, was the number one song in the world. Yeah. So we went on tour for seven years off of that one song. Wow. That started in 84. You and I possibly met yeah. in 86, 87. Okay. Okay. So I was, I was still on tour when <clears throat> I came to, to the studio. And so uh, you hadn't been, let me double check my notes here on when you were in the military. You hadn't been in the military yet. I, had, I went into the military in 78. I was the Army. I was in Army Reserve. Oh, in 78. That's right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And while you were there, actually, uh, you have, uh, had a captain who uh, found out you played piano and put you in his band. So you were playing in his band. Captain Flatley, right. That, but that was the Navy. After I got out the Army, I came home. I saw things hadn't changed in my neighborhood. I'm like, I'm not getting, I'm not getting caught in this. I go back in the Navy. And then uh, I got put on a ship. Captain Flatley saw me playing and said, hey, you need to put a band together. And I'm like, are you serious? The, the <laughs> captain of the ship is asking me to put a band. I put a 13-piece band together. Wow. I'm the lowest-ranked member in the military. I'm like an E3. Everybody else are sergeants, master sergeants, and right. captains, lieutenant commanders. They're flying jets. But I put this band together, and for the next three and a half years, that's all I did in the Navy. Isn't that crazy? I was his, I was his personal entertainment. He would put us on a helicopter, fly us off. For the for the group morale, so when they would land on land, the band would all be already be playing, you know, Spain, mm-hmm. J- Jamaica, Italy, wherever we were. So wow, yeah, what a wild life. Yeah, it was nice. That's kind of cool. I remember in high school, uh, the Air Force came in to you know, during like a pep rally at the end of the pep rally to mm-hmm. to re- to recruit essentially, and you didn't know that. And the band playing the concert you were getting for free was was an Air Force band. They're mm-hmm. playing rock and roll stuff. You know, they're playing Doobie Brothers and all this. And then they tell you, "Yeah, you can be in the Army and be in a band too." Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> how they get you. And it's like, <laughs> really, I can play guitar and wear long hair in the Army. Okay. And you walk over to the guy to sign up, and he doesn't look like the guys in the band. You're like, wait a minute, <laughs> am I going to be you or am I going to be you? Right. Right. <laughs> it was kind of it was kind of funny, but uh, it's cool that you had the opportunity to play in a band while you were in the service. Right, right. It's kind of wild. And what gets me is that you you weren't reading music and you're directing this ensemble. Yes, you know yes. that means it's all in your head. It's all in your ears. You know what to tell everybody what to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that takes a, a real talent. I knew then something was some something was happening with my ears, and I, my chords started to change the things that I heard. And I'm like, oh wait a minute, I'm hearing things. And I was able to give the flute player his parts, the trombonist his parts, um, everybody else their parts. Well, pretty much the band was pretty good already, but mm-hmm. I, ju- I just made some corrections, that's all. 
And then at that point, too, I think you could probably start recognizing what you didn't need to play. Because when you play by yourself or in a two- or three-part ensemble, mm-hmm. you have to play a lot more. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you're finding space because you're giving notes to people. Less is best. <laughs> you know? Less yeah. is best. That's yeah, right. that's pretty cool. Now, when you went out with Dennis and the legendary Temptations, after one year, he took you on as musical director and road manager, too, yeah, for the yes. rest of that tour. Mm-hmm. Now, to be you know, given the hat of road manager... Uh, there has to be an incredible amount of faith placed in your ability to be responsible, which is a rare thing to find in a band, someone who can be responsible enough to Absolutely. give that to. Do you, do you put some of that on your military background that gave you that organization and that uh, yeah. fortitude to get things done? A- absolutely. The, uh, the, uh, the military, you gain that discipline, you know, the do's and don'ts. And when everybody else was partying at the time, I wasn't. So he fired the whole entourage. He fired everybody and said, call that light skin guy, the piano player guy. <laughs> he saw that me. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he, he got on the phone and asked me, he said, you think you can run the band? I said, I'm pretty sure I can. He said, all right, well, you're now the uh, musical director. He said, also, I want you to uh, book a flight. I want you to call ABC up in New York. And he said, I said, wait a minute. I said, what happened to the, uh, the road manager? He said, he's fired too. You're taking on that role. <laughs> Your money just went from this number to that number. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, it's a good L- case. let's do this. <laughs> so, for, is, for how nothing. did you like that? The road managing responsibilities. How was that? I love. I, I like that better than being the musical director. Did you like it because you picked a good band that behaved? Yes. Well, in the beginning, they behaved. Okay. Because <laughs> life's a lot easier when people show up when they're supposed to show up, yeah. and and they're they're being responsible when you're on the road. Because right. when you have one cat who's always 20 minutes late to to call in the, in the lobby, <laughs> it make it aggravates everyone beyond measure because they're there. Mm-hmm. So that's that is such a in the in the beginning, everybody was always on time, always. Three, I, I would say three three and a half four years later, things started to change. Mm-hmm. People would be getting late, comfortable in their no role. Sh- no show, get stuck in a city, mm. you know. So things started happening, you know. Yeah. And it, it got it got worse, but yeah. I mean, we would go to El- we would go to New York and do a show at Sweetwaters. You have five days to you had to p- perform at this place. Everybody's right. there. I mean, all the big wigs are there. On the fifth night, the main character did not show up, and you don't get that check if you don't show up for the last <laughs> show. So now we're stuck. In Newark, New Jersey, during a snowstorm, wow. without any money, can't, wow. can't get home. Right before that, though, Dennis asked anybody that they want some upfront money, and a couple of people were smart. They're like, "Yes, give me my money now. <laughs> give me yeah. my money," because he know they they know Dennis's habits. So you know, yeah, and he was probably all saying, "I might not show up, so if everybody wants to get paid, you're going to take it you now, know, right?" So. Who knows? Who knows? You know, the, the the diva element of a lead character, especially when fame enters their their life. Uh, it's is a is an odd animal to, to manage because partly you you need that that energy and attitude on stage in front of the audience, mm-hmm. and to have enough of that there and in the front of the press when you're in front of the press and then put that all away and right. when you're not there is a very difficult thing to do, right. and I think a lot of people aren't very good at it, <clears throat> right. you know, right? And uh, and you kind of want a bit of diva in them, but not that much and none right now, please. But right. you can't you can't manage it like that, right? He, so it's, he, he didn't know how to turn it off sometimes. Yeah. So, but uh, but we had a good time though. And I learned do, a lot from Dennis. Did you do any other uh, management or managing? No, just just Dennis Edwards. I mean that 
and like I said, in the beginning, it was great. I loved it. All I had to do was book flights and make sure everyone had rooms. Uh, right. You know, the, the money was taken care of as far as the tour buses and things like that. Mm-hmm. All that, that was easy. Mm-hmm. That was easy. What was the worst part about it for you? I mean, was it the meet and greets afterwards or the sound checks? Or what, what was the part that was the toughest part when you're playing all of those roles and wearing all of those hats? Um, sound checks. I didn't like sound checks, you know, but I knew it was necessary for the for the sound guys. Right. I knew it was necessary for them. I didn't like that. After a night of partying, then go do a sound check. I didn't like that. (laughs) And on the big tours, the sound check's early in the afternoon, and then you you get three hours of nothing, and then you got to be back there two hours before the show. And And sit around in the green room and take pictures and sign autographs. And when you've got the other jobs, uh, that downtime must drive you crazy unless you can be working during it. Right. Otherwise, you're doing all your work after the show when Mm -hmm. everyone else is crashing out. That's right. You know, so it's... It's a tough job to have all those responsibilities on the road. But it, it was it was good though. I would I would fly to L.A. No, what would I do? I, w- I would fly to Miami for lunch. I'd be in L.A. for dinner. <laughs> That's how much money I was making at the time. Jeez, That's crazy. Did you put a little away? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who can do that? Right. Can't take it with you. <clears throat> That's funny. Um, is this, there's just so many stories there. I'm sure you you could just tell stories about the, the trips and the traveling but let's get on to some of the other projects for example um so men at large let's talk about that project okay how did this come about because this is was the one that uh, was managed by gerald Levert, right exactly because um, i thought that was the one that was the story you were going to tell me when you said that you know he was in town and you there was this other band that was going to be signed i thought we were going to get to men at large in that story no men at large is 95 to 97 okay so that was another audition um uh, I got a phone call from a good friend of mine and said, hey, we're auditioning keyboard players for Men at Large. They just had their huge hit out, I'm So Alone. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is Gerald Levert's people. So, you know, I don't know the song, but I show up at the... At and Gerald Levert was like huge. super, super huge. Yes. He was like, pew. Yes. Know? Right. But we were all friends. We all grew up. But, you know, just yeah. to get in, get into that group or in that circle, it was nice. Yeah. Um, but I go to the audition, and again, there's four or five keyboard players lined up. Everybody's doing their thing. I don't mm-hmm. even know. I don't even know the song. The song is called "Let's Talk About It." Just released it. It's a hit, mm-hmm. and I, I'm learning the song as everybody else is just playing. So I learn the song. Then Gerald looks at me, and say, "Are you ready?" I'm like, "Yeah, let's go." Let's. I, I played it. They're like, "Hey, you, you, and you, y'all pack up, go." And I'm like, "Are you serious right now?" I made the audition. The next day was rehearsal, full band, the same guys that were left there. And the thing about it was we all knew each other. Mm-hmm. So it, that made it even better. Yeah. So from 95 to 97, I'm on tour with them. That had to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Well, a lot of, On that tour, there was um, Gerald Levert, the Rue Boys, and Men at Large. Those are, that's all his, his mm-hmm. group, the, all his groups. So. Right, so he put the, his own groups opening up. It's got all the money in one pot. There you Keep go. everybody working. That's right. Makes a lot of sense. That's very cool. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, your your work with the Commodores is a big is a big step. That's the big one. And that's again another uh, funny audition. That was a f- yeah. That was weird, but it wasn't the first I've heard of that b- because of a young lady by the name of we just got back in touch with her. Um, she just did Bobby Womack. Uh, she was on Bobby Womack's album. She's from Cleveland, Ohio, but she sang over the phone for Bobby Womack and got the audition. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's like 15 years ago. So all of a sudden I get a phone call and, hey, Don, uh, this is so-and-so, Mike Manley. And I'm like, I don't know who Mike Manley is. He said, look, I'm the guitar player for uh, the Commodores. I'm like, yeah, right, okay. Right. <laughs> hey, can you, pl- can you play easy for me? What key are you playing in? I said, A flat. He said, okay, well, they changed it because it's too high now. They, they play it in G. I said, okay, can you play it in G? He said, sure. But I started playing, and he said, wow, hey, look, I'm going uh, to make another phone call. Somebody's going to call you. His name is Harold Hudson. He's the musical director. I'm like, okay. So I get off the phone, and I run to her. Hey, these, these people are calling me about this Commodore gig, right? <laughs> the phone rings. I run back down to You're the, wondering which friend is playing a trick idea. Right, right. So I'm seriously thinking it's a trick. So I talked to Harold Hudson. Then I talked to uh, one of the Commodores. I think it's uh, Clyde. The actual guy who sings Brick House. Okay. And so he said, I'm going I'm to send you over to David Fish, who's the manager of the group, and um, he's going to talk to you about getting, getting you here within the next couple of days. I had just released my, my album. It was four songs. It wasn't even an album. But that one song, I guess, grabbed their ear. And, um, and uh, what happened was they liked the piano playing that I did on the, on the record. Mm-hmm. And so uh, David Fish called. He said, you don't have to play for me. I don't know anything about music. Uh, what's your address? You think you can learn this whole show before Saturday? And I'm like, it's Tuesday. I said, I'll do the best that I can. No, you have to do your best. I'm like, okay. So they sent me overnight the whole show on VHS. And, and it was an hour and 45 minutes long. I learned the whole show. She had to bring, my wife had to bring me coffee food i would sleep on the keyboards notes sticking and i'm like i'm just snoring man <laughs> you know um time to fly out i fly out friday night and i see all the guys uh they walk past knocking on the door hey you want to go out and get something to eat no i'm sitting here with these headphones on i'm right. going over these songs right then no one told me we get to the temptation show we open it up for the for the temptations they give me a list it's only like seven songs on it i'm like what happened to the other 15 <laughs> they said, oh, not oh. Us tonight. They, they were like, oh, we're not headlining tonight. We're just opening up. I'm like, oh, my God, I learned all those songs. Thank you so much. <laughs> so I actually I killed it that night. I'm, I'm, I'm sweating. Never sweat like this before. I'm throwing sweat off my hands while I'm playing it. So they're talking to me in my in-ears. What's wrong? I said, and I'm like, I'm sweating. I'm sweating. So they bring me towels, and I'm shaking the sweat off. I was so nervous. Wow. So nervous, my first show with the Commodore. Where was that show? That was at... Um, Atlanta at the Amphitheater. Okay. Yeah. Gosh. Beautiful. That's so cool. And so after that show, now this is another story. I didn't know there was another keyboard player. Harold didn't show up. Harold was mad because he felt like he should have got per diem for being in Atlanta as well. Cause, but he lived there. It's like, we're not giving you per diem and you live here too. <laughs> so he's like 45 minutes away. But he didn't show up that night. He came the next night. So after he came and I heard him play, I'm like, this guy is amazing. He went from trumpet. He's the original trumpet player from Tuskegee. And, and he, uh, after Mylon Williams uh, left the group, he took over the keyboards and taught himself how to play. He, that man's a beast. I learned, I learned a whole bunch from that guy. Yeah. That had to be great to be in, those, to be in that group, you know, yeah. with that level of talent. Yeah. <clears throat> was it fun to be on the road with him? Oh, yeah. The, the, it was definitely fun to be on the road good guys yeah good 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 guys i love that uh you know it's like i try to explain this to young guys coming up that you don't have to necessarily be the best player in the world you got to be able to get along you know and so here they are they need a keyboard player 
And so by reference or by hearing the record, they're like, okay, listen, can you play? Okay, great. You, that's, that's good enough. That's what we're looking for. That mm-hmm. was good enough. And just as long as you can get along, learn stuff and show up, mm-hmm. you got the gig. That's you know, and that's really how it starts. It's almost more important to be timely and be responsible and be good enough. Because if you're the greatest one and you have a diva issue, you, no one has time for that. Right. They're going to let that go. Right. Right. Good enough will, will work better right. if they're on time, you know, and they work. I was the lowest man on a totem pole in that group. Although I, I, I knew I could play. Yeah. Harold, Harold, Harold could kill me on, on keys, but I was on time. I learned my parts. Mm-hmm. Never an issue. There was no issues with me. Yeah. There were issues with other people, but yeah. not with me. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. So now you've got that, you know, that's on your, on your little, uh, you know, bio. There I was in the Commodores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. All those, all those hit songs. All those hit songs. And you've written a book, or you're writing a book. Writing a book. Is this essentially about your history in music, about your life in music? Yeah, yeah. So and what's the title going to be? Most likely not to succeed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and where did you get that title? I got that title from an award that I received in 1973 from Wilson Junior High. Okay? They selected you were the one least right, likely. Right, right. So this is our last day of summer school, right? So I, I was always like the class clown dude, and and. Uh, Everybody's like prettiest eyes award, uh, the cutest couple award. Right. They call my name. I'm like, uh oh, what a, what award am I gonna win? <laughs> right. I get up there. It's like most likely not to succeed. I'm laughing. I'm like everybody's laughing. Blah 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 blah. So I, but I took that award home to my mother. She grabbed my wrist and snatched me right back up to that school and said, "Who gave this to him?" She was looking for that teacher who allowed that to happen. Right. And I didn't think about it at the time. But as I grew older, I'm like, you know, that was cruel. Yeah. You should. They shouldn't have. And that stuck. To, that stuck with me all this time. Yeah, that bothered me. I'd have taken that award on tour and set it on my keyboard. Yeah, you know, <laughs> let that show up in photographs. Right, right. I let people. What's that? What's that? Right. So, I'm, the, I'm the one least likely to succeed. Yeah. Right. Look at me now. So that yeah, that bothered me, and I wanted yeah. to prove to them, and I still can't read to this day. But three world tours later, here I am. Then I've scored a full. I've scored a whole movie by myself. Mm-hmm. You know. uh I, I had seven songs in another movie, mm-hmm. but I'm the one that's not going to succeed. Yeah, it does. Hey, tell me about this movie stuff. So what was it like scoring a whole a whole film? Well, uh, did you enjoy that? Yeah. Well, the first film was is, is called Spoon. Um, the guy was just accepting songs from local artists, and so I sent him a few songs, and he's like, "You got? Do you have more? You have more?" And I'm like, "Yeah." I gave him a few more, and next thing I know, I'm on the in- intro of the song of the movie. And I'm all throughout the movie, and my name is all backsplash all over the back end of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. So um, he has success with that movie. And uh, about a year or two later, he called me and asked me what I like to score a film. And I'm like, I'm, I never tried. So, I, of course, I go to YouTube. I do tutorials. Start pulling up stuff. <laughs> I did a split YouTube screen. great? Yeah. I did a split screen. I got, I got the movie on one side. I got uh, Logic Pro on the other side, and I'm writing to this film, and it took me about a year and a half to finish it. Yeah. yeah but I got, a, I got a lot of praise for that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a whole different kind of uh, music writing than songwriting, isn't it? Oh, man. I, I'd rather do that than do production, R&B yeah. stuff. Yeah. I, I love writing scores. Yeah. Yeah. That was well, so what nice. I like about it is sometimes some, so little can be so powerful because mm-hmm. all you need is to – is to emotionally express what they're thinking right before they look at you. Exactly. Because it's kind of like makes you, prepares you as a viewer for what you're about to see. And then when you see it, it's more powerful. Right, know? right. Confirms it. So you can play those games in, in creating the score. Mm-hmm. And it's subtle. 
but it takes a real emotional connection to to what you're trying to perform and you're in control of that you yeah know? and that's what that's what's so exciting about being that that the score person right <laughs> you know i can play the timpanis here and the, the violins yeah. and you know you can hear the death before it actually happens yeah. you know so I'll, i'm like i like this I yeah like this yeah so. so when you write a song for example the song tends to for me i mean the song ends up very very early on it kind of has an identity and they, they have to kind of grow up so you flesh them out you finish them in a sense but the core element of what's cool about it is kind of the first thing that happens whether it's a, the melody or a groove mm-hmm. and, and then you kind of go from there so then the emotional connection in relationship to like we were just talking about the score in your work you know uh, conveying so much emotion that songs it's more like you find the song and then the emotion you put in in the performance of the part the part isn't really designed to be so emotive. It's designed just around the song. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an odd disconnect. It is. It is. So you find that to be the case when you're writing? Yeah, I do. I, I, I try to start off with um, with chords that just feel good to me in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'd be dark, you know, so right. minors or majors. But I always try to stay with something that's like, that, that f- just feels good, you know, mm-hmm. feels real good. Then I start adding my other instruments i try not to go into the score part of when i do a song when i'm doing r&b or smooth jazz but i try to stay in that frame of mind when i'm doing my jazz though uh-huh. and i just i just want to make sure everybody's feeling what i'm doing and tapping that foot and rock, rocking the head you know so have you often had the opportunity to write for other artists yeah and how different is that than writing something for yourself um we Whenever I write for another artist, I try to do the tutorials, not a tutorial, but I try to go into their background, see what they're about, what they've done, you know, what their high notes are. Uh, and, and one particular guy from the OJs, uh, Eric Nolan Grant, he was on tour with us with Dennis Edwards, he's same background, and now he's with the OJs, and he did his album, and I, he wrote a song, well, I wrote a song called I Can Love You, but I wrote it like 10, 15 years before he picked it up. Mm-hmm. And he came back to me. He remembered that song. He said, do you still have that song? I said, I do. Next thing I know, that song is number four over in Europe. So, you know, I, I love writing for people. Yeah. Yeah. I That's do. very cool. I want to talk more about your book. But before we do, you sent me a bunch of other tunes. And, you know, we've, we've, we're 40 minutes into our time. So <laughs> if we don't play another song, we're not going to get to. So um, should we play 11 to 7 or, or Frazzled? Or come right if, if you want to hear some vocals, 11 to 7 is a nice song. It's a sexy song. It's, it's, the story is about a gentleman who's tiptoeing on his lady. But this young lady he's with, he's so in love with her. He ha- she has his 9 to 5, his second shift. And now she wants his 11 to 7, which means she wants him full time. Mm-hmm. So I, that's a great song. Okay, so this is a song that you wrote? Yes. And what are you playing on this particular recording? Everything. Okay. So you're playing everything that's live, you programmed everything that's programmed, mm-hmm. and who's singing? Woody Woods from Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. All right, well, let's check it out. So this is 11 to 7 from my guest, Don Williams Sr., here in the Auto D Show. Check it out.
11 to 7 from my guest Don Williams Sr. here on the Auto D Show, which is brought to you by Fervor Records and also TheRecordingArtist.com. But uh, back to our, our chats about what's going on in Don's world. We just mentioned that uh, you're writing a book. That's uh, We got sidetracked by the title, which took us down another road, Most Likely Not to Succeed. So uh, tell me a little bit about the book, or give me a couple chapter headings. What, what can we expect to see in this thing? Um, growing up in my neighborhood, man, we weren't expecting to get out of there, you know, um, so um, that's one of the main things about th- that I concentrated on doing was getting out of the hood, hearing whispers that he's going to be like his dad. You know, I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to be nothing like that. I had to get out of the hood. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I excelled at sports and, and, and the music thing. So, um, but it's, all that's going to be in the book, um, 
trying to stay around, stay away from different crowds, and you just can't avoid it because it's there in your hood. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's why I went into the military. Mm-hmm. And when I came home, they were still doing the same thing. So I went back in the military. And so I came home, and then like, luckily I got a chance to go on tour mm-hmm. for the next. You know, and a lot of people would think going into the music business and going on tour is going from the good crowd to the bad crowd. But mm-hmm. you're, but in your experience, it was going from the bad crowd to the better crowd. Right, right. <laughs> getting out of the house and getting out of the community and going on the road yeah. in, a, in, a, in a music show of that level. There had to be all kinds of trouble on, on the road if you wanted it, you know. It was. It was there. Yeah. All you had to do was look left and just go get it or whatever. Yeah. It, was, it was there everywhere you went. But it was probably easier to stay away. Yeah. Easier to take care of yourself. Yeah. So when do you think we can see this book? <sighs> I'm not asking for a hard release date, but... Or better yet, what, I, let me guess, the first release date was scheduled for about three years ago? Four years. <laughs> so you're already late, right? Right. Uh, let's, let's say uh, spring of 2022. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're close. I'm very close. I mean, I have a ghostwriter. I have, I have the perfect person who's, who's helping me uh-huh. uh, when I reach out to her. But things have just been happening so fast lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last year, musically for me, has just been frequently amazing what do you mean because it's like when i got here it was, it was slow um for me musically because everybody was already in a click doing their thing clubs were locked up mm-hmm. and oh this guy's here he plays piano blah blah blah, blah. so i didn't come out with the commodore thing first these right. my friends did who knew me yeah. and so then doors started slowly opening musicians started to coming so i mean now it's like uh the induction and all the gigs that that are popping up and right uh, it's a lot happening. Well, and uh, you mentioned the induction, induction, the greatest R&B legends music award. You are being inducted into this uh, hall in Ohio, and it's uh, when does the, is there an official event coming up? May fourteenth. May fourteenth. Mm-hmm. And so, tell me, tell me a little bit about this organization. Um, this is something that uh, uh, Star Makers uh, and Dennis Cash from Cleveland, Ohio, they put together, and they're associated with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and a lot of other. Uh, affiliates like Leo Leo's Casino, which used to be a huge deal back in Cleveland, because that was the club that brought in the Temptations, the Supremes. So they all teamed up and said, "We need to do something for our uh, Ohio musicians mm-hmm. who are still here. Some are gone, forgotten." But um, so they started, you know, recognizing the people who started back in the seventies and eighties. And I'm, I'm I'll be on the same stage with the OJ's. They'll be giving getting a Living Legend Award. That's cool. And mine is called the uh, greatest living, not greatest living legend, keyboardist. Uh, keyboardist from 82 to present because I've, I'm still active. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah, I'm, I have the letter right here. Congratulations, Don Williams Sr. You have been selected to be honored as the recipient in the category of best musician artist as the best keyboardist 1982 to present. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kim, you excited about that one? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited. You gonna get a new dress for the big he, deal? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be fun. Yeah, he he's he's worthy. Got to get some pictures. Yeah, he's worthy. It's about time. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. So now you said this last year has been something else. So, yeah. um, you mentioned that when you came, things were kind of slow. Everybody had they were in their clicks, and the clubs were sewn up. Uh, you know, the, the pandemic shut everybody down. Mm-hmm. Did that did that open opportunities when doors opened back up again? You could be the new guy. It was okay because didn't have relationships. When COVID hit, I was still working. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it took about three months, four months before they, they started letting us back in. Mm-hmm. But um, 
I headline this one club, and I've, I've been there for two years now, mm-hmm. every second Saturday. And what club is that? That's West Alley Barbecue out in Chandler. Okay, everybody. Did you hear that? Second Saturday of each month. What time? 8 to 11. 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. And the name of it one more time? West Alley Barbecue, Chandler. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, you know, I know a lot of people out in Chandler, so uh, we should be getting out there to check you out. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. And then um, tell me a little bit about that environment. Do you have uh, guests come up on stage? Is it strictly covers? Do you play some of your own material? Um, it's, I, I play strictly covers there. Sometimes I, I surprise them with a, uh, a Commodore tribute. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do four or five songs oh, from, from the show. And uh, I bring guests up on stage as well. Mm-hmm. But it's a cover at the door. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a nice place to be at. And the food is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, atmosphere is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. And how, how many people are playing there? Is that a solo gig for you? Or do you have a three-piece? Or what's happening? I have a seven-piece band. Seven-piece band at that event? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> every other Saturday? Every, every, every second Saturday of each one, right? Okay, the second Saturday of every month. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm going to go put that in my calendar. Yeah, you got to come check us out. <laughs> I, I do. I absolutely <laughs> do. So if people want to get a hold of you, what's the, what's the easiest way? Um, you can go to www.donwilliamssenior.com. Or you can catch me on Facebook at Don Don Williams and Company. You can catch me on Facebook at my other group, which is called Night Shift. Okay. Yeah. So Night Shift. Night Shift is my Commodore tribute band. That's the last song that the Commodores made, which they got a Grammy for. Awesome. Yeah. So I see a piece of paper on the table there. Are there some other dates you're playing? Yeah. I'm playing at another place called West Side Blues and Jazz. And I start there. January 14th, February 5th, March 5th, April 16th, May 7th. So let's put it this way. I'm there first Saturday of each month. There you go. <laughs> it makes it easier. And then you're on the other side of town. Second, second Saturday, Saturday of every month. Right. Okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people playing over there uh, at that spot. That's a hopping, hopping. That's a hopping, happening place. It is. It is. That, oh, it was really nice. Yeah. Is it new, a new venue? It's a new venue. Um, I mean, when you walk in, we did a, we did a matinee a couple of weeks ago, bright outside. But as soon as you walk in and they pull the curtains, it's like mm-hmm. dark everywhere. The tables are up close and personal mm-hmm. right at the band. Uh, food's good. Drink's great. Mm-hmm. Um, just the atmosphere. Just awesome, man. Cool. Yeah. And when you're playing there, are you playing under your name? Just Don Williams and company. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is your ensemble, is it? change hats once in a while different people do you have a group of tw- 15 that comprise that seven every night or well is uh, it a pretty standard group it's pretty standard i stay i stay around seven seven mm-hmm. i can i can go to eight um actually i go i'm going to eight with my new keyboard player because we're doing the commodore tribute thing uh hopefully around january or february at uh, uh at a hopefully i have my fingers crossed at this particular casino i don't want to say it right now okay no problem. Yeah. We'll let that go. Yeah. Speaking of casinos, uh, you don't know this about me, but I, I play in a couple tribute bands, like okay. the tribute band tribute bands. Okay. Because when I do my songs and play at a club, I can pull about 30 people at 10 bucks a head, and uh-huh. that doesn't cover the cost of my band, so we don't do a lot of shows. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I have like eight or nine pieces, too, and it's like, well, that's going to cost me a couple thousand dollars to make that 300 bucks, so it's not worth it, you know? Yeah. But uh, I go out and do a Brooks and Dunn tribute show. We do all over the country, and I glue a beard on, and I put a fake tattoo on my arm that says cowboy. Cause what? Because Ronnie, Ronnie Dunn has one. <laughs> and, uh, and then a, a John Lennon tribute show. So nice. Those are, <clears throat> those are fun. It's interesting when you play 
boatloads of great music that everyone's already familiar with. Mm-hmm. Like when you do a Commodore's tribute show, and everyone's dancing to those tunes. You play one of yours, and they don't know it. And maybe some of them do, but most of them <laughs> don't know your stuff. So it's a very different experience. Right. It's a lot of fun. You can still bring all that joy to them mm-hmm. uh, with your performance of that material that they can relate to. Right, mm-hmm. right. Kind of fun. The guy, the guy that I reached out to. Um, he posted something at at the casino, didn't realize he was the buying agent for the casino. And I said, I wonder if they were like a Commodore tribute band there. He said, absolutely, Don. He said, let's give me a call tomorrow. I'm like, <laughs> what? And so when, he, we t- when we talked, he told me who he was. And he said, man, what, what better person to put a Commodore tribute band together than you, <laughs> the yeah. keyboard player? So Yeah, I mean, you, you, it's almost like I've seen lesser bands call themselves the name of the band. I saw Canned Heat come through town, and the only quote-unquote original member mm-hmm. was the roadie who now was playing drums and singing oh. and so and no one else was from the original band so <laughs> right. even the guy who was original band wasn't actually in the band he was the roadie oh my oh. goodness you know so i mean you should you, you're the commodores <laughs> <laughs> you know you're actually in the band yeah so that's pretty cool all right man so what's next for you what's coming up well finishing this uh this next album that i'm working on um and hopefully to get this uh commodore tribute band off the ground so we can possibly maybe pick a residency at a, at a casino. That'd be wonderful. You know, that'd be a lot of fun. And then, uh, as far as this album goes, how many cuts have you got done? Uh, Sixteen. He actually got the album. Yeah. Sixteen. Finished it. Yeah. I was gonna say at sixteen, I would think you're but, about done. You know, but as a producer, you never. I'm, you're never I, done. I'm, I'm never done, man. That's the problem with having a home studio, is that you never have to be done. And so you can keep redoing. But when you, when you used to have to go into the studio and pay for it, you yeah, got done. That's right. <laughs> you know. So that's, I think that's the worst thing about home recording is it lets artists never commit. And ar- that's the hardest problem artists have is committing. Mm-hmm. Because the thing about an artist is that first sh- you know, stroke you put on the page yeah. ruins 99% of its, per- percent of its potential. Because now you're committed to something. Right. And so artists hate that. They like to keep it all open as much as possible. And that's why you can't finish it. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. So you got to give yourself a deadline. Let it go. I know. Got to right? wrap it up and I let know. it go. She's been telling me that, and then then she tells me, "Leave it alone. Nothing's wrong with it. It's perfect." And I go back. I'm like, uh, I got to put these strings here or pan them over here. I hear you. <laughs> you know what I want to do? I want to. Uh, usually, I have some regular out music I play at the end of the show. I'm not going to. Instead, I'm just going to roll another one of your cuts. Okay. I'll let that play. All right. So uh, before I do, I just want to uh, thank you again for coming in. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled and great to meet you, Kim. Nice to meet you. And um, congratulations on your induction. That's going to be awesome. Thank you, sir. And uh, I, it's so exciting to me to think that we probably worked together on that, in that session on that record. And we're going to find out. I'm sure next, that was you. In a number of hours, we're going to find out. And so that's really cool to see uh, this relationship kind of come back and reconnect. Right. I'm excited about that. 2,000 miles away from home. Right? Yeah, I'll be using a Debanese bird driving down to the recording workshop to cut a record. Right. So that's exciting. <laughs> so on the way out, Don, let's listen to Frazzled. Yes, sir. All right. And thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. And you guys, thanks for listening to the Auto D Show here on Dave Pratt's Star Worldwide Networks. And on our way out, as I mentioned, here is Don Williams Sr. with Frazzled. Check it out.